0: Hello, welcome to episode number 130 of Turkey Book Talk. I'm William Armstrong, speaking from here in Istanbul. In this episode, we hear from Mustafa Menshawi. He's Associate Professor at the Doha Institute for Graduate Studies and Associate Fellow at the University of Westminster and the author of Leaving the Muslim Brotherhood, Self, Society and the State published by Palgrave. In our conversation he talks about the migration of thousands of Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood leaders and members to Turkey in recent years. Istanbul is now effectively the gravitational centre of the Brotherhood which has faced severe repression in Egypt since the military coup there in 2013. In our conversation we talk about how this exile has changed the Brotherhood and its members including those who have moved away from the group since arriving here. But before we crack on, let me just remind you that you can support the podcast by joining as a Turkey Book Talk member via Patreon. Membership gets you various extras, including PDF transcripts in English and Turkish of every interview via email as soon as the episode is published. You also get transcripts of the entire Turkey Book Talk archive, including a number of extra interviews not previously published on the podcast. Members also receive access to an exclusive discount deal, which gets you a whopping 35% of the price of books published in IB Taurus and Bloomsbury's extensive Turkey and Ottoman history category Turkey Book Talk members get a special code for a 35% discount on over 100 books in that series of academic and general interest titles including physical books, pre-orders and e-books very good for a late Christmas present if that's what you're looking for As a member you also receive an archive of over 200 book reviews written by myself covering Turkish and international fiction and poetry, history, politics and journalism in the Middle East and Europe. That whole archive used to be available online but nowadays a Turkey Book Talk membership is the only way to access it. Finally, I also send links to articles and other related content in the email that I send out to members with every new episode which is ideal if you want to delve that bit deeper. To become a member, just pledge $3 per episode via Turkey Book Talk's Patreon page. If you're feeling particularly generous and want to pledge more, then you'll certainly be more than welcome. But so long as you pledge $3 or above per episode, membership is entirely at your own discretion. There are no prior commitments or strings attached. You'll be free to sign off whenever you want. But now onto our conversation with Mustafa Menchawi. I started by asking him how many Muslim Brotherhood members are currently living in Turkey as well as where they're generally based
1: after the events in 2013 in Egypt, the removal of Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi who was a leader of the Muslim Brotherhood, thousands moved to Turkey. We don't have exact figure, but when I speak to leaders or members of the group they put the number as a few thousands. I'll, I'll be at the safe side, i put it under 10,000 members who moved to Turkey. Um during my research field work, I find most of them are living in Istanbul for example there's one area Shireen Evlar where exactly if you go there you can find just many members and ex-members as well if you go to a cafe you can easily identify that there are many friends of the interlocutors as well so they live close to each other and uh, funnily enough even ex-members who exited the group, who disengaged from its activities, uh, the organizational side, they still live around as well, so this is where they are, and uh, imagine that the numbers after 2013 kept getting bigger, because uh, the Turkish support for the Brotherhood, or if I put it in another way, the Turkish opposition to C.C. kept this kind of flow of individuals coming in during following years so i can identify some of my interlocutors who arrived in turkey in 2015 16 17 and 20 as well although the egyptian government made a kind of restrictions on male egyptians coming to turkey they need to get a permit there are the, the individuals find their own ways via transit countries or such
0: and is there a kind of formal, I suppose, institutional support there from the Turkish government? Or is it a more kind of uh, informal thing where people will come and uh, they just find a kind of safe harbour here so they stay? Or is it a more deliberate policy on the part of the, uh, of the Turkish government? Honestly speaking,
1: because my my research was the phenomena of exiting the brotherhood, Egypt's brotherhood, not necessarily in Turkey, but the UK, Qatar, and Egypt. I didn't delve deeply into this kind of institutional support. However, what I can tell you from the anecdotal evidence of individuals telling me the support is coming in different ways, institutionalized because some of the are getting a permit to stay in turkey secondly some of them getting passports so they are turkish citizens and the different ways of support like the many of them they are allowed to work um, or move into the educational side continue their education if they are students as well and of course we keep coming across leaders of the brotherhood or media tycoons opposing cc coming and meeting the interior minister of turkey as well so if we put it both ways institutionalized as governmental as it is and non-institutionalized as well when it comes to the cultural elements of mingling into the educational side or the workplaces as well these are come at the two elements
0: So we're talking now about a close relationship, but the relationship between uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and Turkey's uh, ruling Justice and Development Party has not always been smooth. It's not always been as amicable. Could you just talk about how the Muslim Brotherhood view of the AKP and of Uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan president has changed over the years. I remember in um, uh, I think it was 2011 it was shortly after the the overthrow of Mubarak, Erdogan gave an interview to an Egyptian uh, TV channel and uh, he very uh, publicly sort of advised Egypt's new authorities to adopt a secular model and I remember that was very surprising at the time. People were surprised on both sides in both Turkey and Egypt and it caused a bit of controversy and I suppose that gives you a hint of the kind of different perspectives and the fact that both sides don't always see eye to eye.
1: Yeah, I think that I remember that at that time, the Muslim, many of the Brotherhood members and leaders were not very satisfied. They were very surprised with the comment itself. It comes within this kind of outburst of sentiments regarding the Islamist project and the need to fully realize it after many years of deprivation and political repression from the Mubarak regime. And this is where... The comments of Erdogan were not very welcomed in the Egyptian perspective. And in in hindsight, perhaps many leaders of the group are now pensively thinking of the comments as a kind of friendly, wise attempt to rein in their horses and and just uh, nostalgically think of it as a
0: kind of an opportunity lost. Now turning more closely to to your book The the Brotherhood is now an organisation That's led mostly by the diaspora uh, I think for the first time in its history So it's a historic shift that's occurred The gravitational centre really Has moved from Egypt to abroad And specifically to Turkey and Istanbul now So events and politics in Turkey Now have a great influence on the group Perhaps even greater arguably than um, events back in Egypt So I just wonder if you could talk about how, How that experience of diaspora has changed the group, how it's changed uh, perspectives, uh, how it's changed the perception of the group also in Egypt itself.
1: Uh, part of the arguments is that organizationally there's a big change to this diaspora leadership position which is coming from Turkey because now it's a kind of um, giving a kiss of life to the group fully repressed thousands of members and leaders are in prison now in Japan prisons so Turkey comes as a kind of a safe haven for many of them so it gives them the opportunity to reorganize and. This is the first element. Secondly is financially as well. Uh, Many members and leaders are businessmen, they have their own sources of income in order to keep the group alive when it comes to recruitment campaigns, meeting campaigns or even solidarity campaigns because many members are resort to the group for support. The support comes via discourse as well because many leaders are now uh, hosts on TV we can identify a number of TV satellite channels that are broadcast from Turkey where the leaders can actually beam out their ideology as well um, this is really important when it comes to public exposure, when it comes to perceptively, and this is a bit bit of an issue because a lot of Egyptians now identify the the opposition that is position with turkey they keep thinking of the satellite stations as a means of actually instigating unrest in egypt and of course this perception is institutionally supported because the egyptian government constructed turkey as part of this axis of evil if you like where the brotherhood and turkey come together watching an egyptian tv confront all these kind of paid Or state made ads in which commercials in which the Turkey and the Brotherhood coming together as members of the evil forces that we have to fight. This is a coupling of the enemy position
0: between Turkey and the Brotherhood. I also want to talk about how Muslim Brotherhood members within Turkey have perceived political and social changes inside Turkey, because you talk about how uh, there's a double process going on. There's a lot of people, particularly leaders in Istanbul, who are sort of looking at the uh, increasingly kind of uncompromising Turkish administration, and they're really admiring it because they're they're looking at it and they're saying, you know, this is what we should have done if we'd been so uncompromising in, in Egypt, we'd still be in power, and this was the route to go. Down and we didn't take that route, and they're kind of lo- taking that lesson from looking at the Turkish government. But there's also a development where there are members who are becoming cold towards the Muslim Brotherhood. They're looking at Turkish society and they're seeing that it has relatively more liberal values than Egypt's. And they're kind of getting used to more sort of uh, liberal cultural norms, I suppose, that are maybe less restrictive for women, for example, or more uh, accommodating of difference in religious convictions or practice. I just wonder if you could talk about that, like how these members have had these contrasting views of what's going on in Turkey. Are the two completely polar opposites or are there people who sort of maybe combine both, you know, look at the uncompromising, perhaps authoritarian Turkish government model and also the relatively more liberal social values and see them as a kind of model that that, uh, is attractive?
1: Uh, thanks so much for the question it's very interesting what comes to my attention when I was in Turkey a lot of members who exited the brotherhood refer to the social liberal values in Turkey for example a lot of them mentioned the opportunity to just make friends and of course this comes as part of the organizational build-up of the brotherhood which is built on communion and renunciation you have to stay away from the the society around you The other society And be part of our we An Islamist group Which is the sole representative of, of Islam Of course that was easy to do in Egypt uh, Because different reasons uh, The geographic proximity The full control of friendship circles Social circles Intermarriage And when it comes to Turkey There's a bit of a problem here Because organizational The brotherhood leaders are not fully aware of the the geographic composition of Turkey. They are diaspora foreigners, and and, uh, as traditional as they are, the the leaders are not fully familiar with the culture as quicker as the younger generation who will have an asset by opening up to society, getting education, friendship circles, and that gives them an advantage over the leader. and and they grasp the opportunity. For example, many members actually, when they receive a call for a weekly meeting of the Brotherhood Circle as the norm is inside the group, many of them didn't respond. The leader cannot actually bring them in. One leader told me that actually just 10% of members attend the circle and this is a very low percentage given the blind obedience that members Members have to respect towards the leadership and this is one element and the second element is actually it's historical because when the first Mahna or crisis that happened for the brotherhood 1950s 1960s many of them actually escaped to Saudi Arabia where the Wahhabi ideology and the Islamist ideology of the brotherhood colluded now they are moving to Turkey it's, it's a different different story the social uh, level. Even at the political level, the authoritarian model of politics, it comes with a sort of, of openness as well when it comes to the way that they actually accommodate opposition in one way or another. The presence of visibility of oppositional voices is giving this kind of sense of for the members to have a more democratic democratic leadership in a way. And thirdly, which is most important, because the happening inside the brotherhood we have more than one front now and just every front not only having their own headquarters in turkey they having their own research centers friendship circles areas where they meet and gather so turkey it sounds like a hub for a new activism inside the brotherhood. One issue about the build-up of the brotherhood as well is that leaders, mostly traditional, as Salafist as they are, they are disadvantaged by the Turkish social values, which are maybe can be described as liberal or open or actually just different from the Egyptian context. And that means actually the, they are at a weaker position when it comes to understanding the social dynamic of society. And what I'm describing and analysing to you right now comes to mind in, in, in emblematic symbolic features like the way the members dress. Uh, all the time they having dress codes, for example, uh, just a lot of leaders just lash out at, at members who are actually reprimand them for wearing sunglasses because sunglasses means actually it's, it's, it's a bit unconservative in the Egyptian context. And when a lot of members or an ex-member Come to meet me. I find them actually a bit of this rebellious mood of wearing what they want. They're actually being closer to the way the Turkish wear, different lifestyle, big curly hair, which all uncharacteristic of the Brotherhood. If you think of the sociology of dress, so it's a, it's, it's a really interesting how the mingling into the Turkish social and sociopolitics is affecting the internal organizational and. Social dynamics of the brotherhood.
0: You mentioned there, and you talk in the book as well about many youths. From a kind of Muslim brotherhood background or whose families have been active in the group, moving to Turkey, moving to Istanbul specifically, and then adopting a lifestyle that's very different from that preached in the movement. So, just wonder if you could give a couple of sort of uh, maybe concrete examples or maybe case studies or particularly striking examples of young members who you've uh, spoken to who yeah. have gradually drifted away. What are their experiences and uh, what kind of process have they gone through? Perhaps a psychological or spiritual experience experience, what experiences have they gone through? what comes to
1: mind actually when you ask that question is the experience of Abdullah and he's 21 years old just he left Egypt and he after actually he came to Turkey he decided to disengage from the the group the brotherhood and just it sounds like two words to me he remembers the time in Egypt when his father used to force him into attending the activities of the group he smacks him a lot he actually sometimes Times expels him from the house when he disobeys his leaders at the group it's a very restrictive environment geographically psychologically as well when he comes to turkey even his father is in an egyptian prison he feels liberated and actually one of the key metaphors that i find when i ask that simple question how do you, you describe your experience inside and outside the brotherhood and they describe the inside as slavery chains imprisonment and the getting outside as a liberation getting out of, of prison and the language it is very important construction here to describe their feelings Abdullah comes to mind actually when he tells me about how how his father used to beat him in order to keep him restricted to the brotherhood and once he comes here he feels the liberation if I put as such this is an example that comes to mind and uh, some of them actually ended up discarding their familiar connection, they divorced their wives, they have a new life and it's it's not easy to get out of this kind of effective linkage. Uh, many of them describes their experience as an identity crisis because the way the Brotherhood is actually building up its a recruitment is in basis on family members. So if you have a brother, if you are a member, you recruit your brother, and your brother recruits your mother or father, and it goes on like that. So it's all the time like a kind of the recruitment is a family business. So if you decide to get out, that means you have to find a way of dealing you with your family members what comes to mind is another individual who stopped talking to his father for almost two years after getting out of the group and that was really heart-wrenching for him he has a kind of bad memories he feels sad that he has to lose his father because he he get out of the group and it takes him two years to convince his father that it's his personal decision and the other difficulty you mentioned spiritually because the way the Connects its members is, is a spiritual contract. You become closer to God. This is the way to heaven. This is the way to get God's satisfaction. So once you get out, actually, a lot of the punitive measures that the Brotherhood imposes is actually accusing the exiting leaders of apostasy. And this is really harsh because a lot of individuals told me their friends, family members boycotted, stopped talking to them because they feel that they are less Islamic or outside Islam and uh, when I ask many of them what are the hardest moments, what are the most difficult elements that is happening to you since you get out of the group, many of them said losing are my friends. They mentioned friendship circles uh, this kind of imagined kinship networks that is very essential. They, they invested in this friendship networks for years. A lot of them actually, they know their friends for perhaps 20, 30 years. So losing the connection is, is really hard for them. So the psychological element is which I find it the most insightful and thought provoking because a lot of literature is actually talking about the organizational the political structural elements but this kind of affective this connectivity is inhibiting for many experiences of the individuals
0: So I wonder if, I mean, we're thinking more generally here about this kind of perhaps liberalizing effect of um, Turkey on members of the Muslim Brotherhood. And one thing that came to mind as I was reading the book is the big kind of soft power effect of, uh, you know, Turkish TV series. Very popular in um, Muslim majority countries as well, actually, as elsewhere in the world. And uh, people are always saying that these are boosting Turkey's uh, soft power clout. But uh, one thing that perhaps goes a bit unnoticed in, in some people's uh, assessments of these series is that some of the most popular ones offer these kind of relatively secular, I suppose, storylines. The Appeal is a secular one that, you know, it's about luxurious lifestyle and people, you know, dressing very uh, in a kind of quote-unquote modern way. They, they often depict the tug between liberal and conservative values, but they're not really for, concerned with religion at all. So it does make you wonder, I mean, and obviously they're. We're not talking about these kind of uh, more popular historical TV series that uh, have uh, particularly risen in the last couple of years, but um, particularly these social sort of modern, these series that are based on more sort of modern social settings. So again, it it does make you wonder in the long term, is the Turkish cultural influence on Muslim majority countries elsewhere going to be in the long run a kind of relatively liberal one, at least in terms of certain social norms?
1: Uh, yeah I, th- I, th- I do totally agree it's this kind of it's a this modernizing sense in the series is affecting the Islamic culture or the culture in Muslim majority countries in in completely I wouldn't say un Islamic way but I would say yeah unreligious way many Arabs come to Turkey with this kind of experience of watching the Turkish TV series so it it's It has nothing to do with religion and perhaps this kind of takes us back to the liberalizing sense of the soft power. Many Islamists, as traditional as they are, they think of these soap operas as haram, as not allowed in Islam because the way the actresses are dressed up, the makeup, they come uncovered. Secondly is actually the Turkish series, many of them, they focus on the glory of the past, the Ottoman Empire period. They are reconstructing the social memory of many Arabs when it comes to taking this period as a kind of a symbol for oppression, colonialism, despotism, taxes as high as it is from the Ottomans on the occupied territories in the Arab region for for 400, 500 centuries. So it's it's a kind of a reconstruction of the Ottoman Empire related memory where people are now thinking of it more celebratively, more ceremonially uh, rather than historically as episodes of events that unfolded at a certain time for a certain purpose. And this is Really, really significant element for the cultural penetration of Turkey into the Arab region.
0: And conversely, there's also obviously been a effect of the Muslim Brotherhood on Turkey. Actually, the uh, the military coup in Egypt in 2013 is today widely seen as having this major influence on the Turkish government, basically reinforcing the uh, more authoritarian tendencies of the Turkish leadership. So since that coup, you know, Turkey used the events in Egypt as a kind of scarecrow to really suppress different elements of civil society in Turkey and his political opponents, even those inside uh, his own party. I wonder if you could just uh, reflect on that side of things, you know, how has looking at the Brotherhood's experiences in Egypt, how that's changed the perceptions of the Turkish government?
1: Yeah, I think it brings the Turkish government closer to the brotherhood in a way, because uh, the the animosity, the hostility is, is very clear and loud between the two regimes. Secondly, the fact there is a coup, uh, which is not very welcoming word in the Turkish politics, especially for the AKP, given they have their own coup as well. So, the, the coupling between the, the uh, position to this kind of military intervention makes the Brotherhood and the AKP regime closer as well thirdly is the benefits that the regime in turkey as well can get out of this kind of opposition to what happened in egypt in 2013 at the international global level because the erdogan is sending the message he's defending the whole concept of muslim brotherhood as a kind of a collective islamist idea where a muslim should support another muslim against a despotic leader so he's gaining an audience at the international level as well you remember this kind of sign by the hand in reference to the four finger sign as getting in this kind of international popularity you find it posters bumper stickers as well just everywhere so turkey is benefiting when it comes to its image as the modernist islamic country as well so there's a bit of connection i would say
0: and finally I wonder if we could look ahead a bit there's been reports over the last couple of months that there are some backstage diplomatic contacts going on between Turkey and Egypt uh, as well as talks between the intelligence agencies of both countries. People are talking in these reports about this being part of Ankara's bid to fix its isolation in the East Mediterranean and there's also some reports suggesting that Egypt is making any normalisation with Turkey conditional on Turkey basically cutting ties with the Muslim Brotherhood and not allowing it to operate from Turkish soil and that would obviously be a huge step from the Turkish government, a reversal of almost a decade's policy. I wonder if you've seen these reports, what do you make of them and speculating obviously but what would be the potential effect on the Muslim Brotherhood's Turkish operations if the Turkish government patches things up with Egypt?
1: Mm -hmm. I think that the issue when it comes to bilateral relations between Egypt and Turkey is not necessarily ideological, religious or political, it's also, we have to put in mind, economical. The two countries, for example, signed um, a free trade deal in 2005. There's a natural gas deal as well, probably cost $4 billion. And this kind of economic element is really important, especially given the strains, economic financial strains which Turkey suffers from right now. So if you go to Egypt, you can kind of find all these kind of brands like L.C. Wikiki. The, the furniture brands are actually in the moulds of Egypt. So this kind of desire for the economy to move forward is is really important. Funnily, I remember that I was about to buy Amavi jeans, which is the famous brand in Turkey, and I found in the label it's it's manufactured in Egypt, in the free trade area in in Egypt. So the economy is is really important. Secondly, it's politics, Uh, of course. The only stable element in politics is unstability. So things are, are moving forward depending on the the changes that's really happening. 2018 the exposed from Turkey to Egypt were about $3 billion, uh, and this is a kind of increase of 30%. The Turks want to push this kind of increase more and more, so that means the political opposition between the two countries is softening up. Geopolitically as well, the situation in Syria is changing, and the Erdogan is trying to calm down this kind of oppositional attitude towards regimes which stay in power. Thirdly, the Brotherhood itself is—it's uh, now divided. Some of them even member leaders call for reconciliation with the regime of Sisi. Since we cannot change it, there is no kind of a cohesive voice coming from the Brotherhood, and perhaps that put the Turkish position in a situation in which kind of the compromising politics should be on on, on the table should not be excluded from the table as well. I, I feel that in one way or another that the Turkey and Egypt, the relationship will never be a dead relationship because things are moving forward. And I think that the Egyptian regime is interested in rebuilding this kind of relationship. Turkey cannot be taken outside of the equation and the Egypt, I imagine, desire this kind of taking Turkey on board, especially when it comes to the situation in Libya, the East Mediterranean position as well and you can find how the erdogan's position when it comes to the situation happening in the mediterranean is changing he's asking for cooperation if i as such for everyone's interest to be taken on board so politics changes and the situation changes as well when it comes to bilateral relations between egypt and turkey
0: That was Mustafa Menshawi. Many thanks to him for joining for this episode number 130. Remember, if you enjoy Turkey Book Talk, you can support it by becoming a member on Patreon. Membership gets you that 35% IB Taurus Bloomsbury book discount, transcripts of every interview, transcripts of the entire archive, access to an archive of over 200 book reviews written by me and links via email to articles and other content related to the subject of each episode. For all that, just pledge $3 per episode via Turkey Book Talk's Patreon account. Also do please rate or review Turkey Book Talk on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use. Follow via Twitter or like our Facebook page and I always enjoy hearing from listeners so do send any recommendations, feedback or abuse to williamjohnarmstrong at gmail.com And finally a shout out to friends of Turkey Book Talk, Turkey Recap. Turkey Recap is an email newsletter put together by journalists Razier Koch and Diego Cupolo. It's a very useful weekly package that brings together all major developments in Turkey over the past seven days. Arriving in your email inbox every Thursday, Turkey Recap also includes links to interesting articles as well as some excellent puns. Go to turkeyrecap.com to find out how to subscribe. But until our next episode of Turkey Book Talk in a couple of weeks, thank you very much for listening.